I'm really thankful for today. I was so excited. I couldn't sleep last night. Um, I just get excited about events going on and that kind of thing. But what I'm really thankful of is I'm thankful that we're in the middle of Lent. And in the middle of Lent, we're coming to the table each week as a church. I just think there's something very important about that uh, as we come together and as we have all this going on, that we have this practice that we've been given that brings us back together and recenters us. It's a practice that's been going on among people of faith for more than 2,000 years. So what better way to come together and recenter ourselves than being able to come to the table as we will at the end of this gathering? But I grew up a pastor's kid, so I was in church. To say every week would be underselling that. I was in church constantly growing up. And I sat around a lot just thinking through all the things we were doing and just asking a lot of questions about it that have really shaped me. And one of the questions I had about the table was, why of all the things Jesus could do to leave us with, uh, he left us with a practice that he encourages us to do regularly as much as possible. And he left us with this practice as about his brokenness. Right? Because we all know as Christians that that's not the end of the story that we celebrate. Right? The end of the story we celebrate is resurrection. Right? That on the other side of the brokenness that Jesus experienced, he was brought back to life and there was goodness and there was victory. And it always seems strange to me that if the end of the story is one of victory and the end of the story is one of celebration, why did Jesus leave us with this, uh, what felt to me as a kid, is this such depressing practice to keep coming back to that's not even the end of the story? It just felt so strange to me, and I didn't understand what the point really was. But I think we can find some direction in the remembrance of Palm Sunday, which you're celebrating today. So let me talk to you about the story of Palm Sunday, and first of all, let's start with some background. So the story of Palm Sunday is happening in the world of Jesus, uh, and just before that, let me say this. So uh, Jesus was, uh, was a part of the people of Israel, the Hebrew people of Israel, which is somewhat different than the nation state of Israel that exists today, okay? These were a group of people that had been called by God and following God for some centuries now, right? So they were walking with God. They were living in the land that they believed to be their land, the promised land that God had given to them. So they were just trying to live and be present in their land and get to live life. But these people kept finding themselves oppressed and occupied by outside people groups who were coming in and taking over their land. So time after time, people came in from the outside and conquered them, and they found themselves as occupied people to a group of people that didn't represent their interests, right? So this is one of the stories just 150, 175 years before Jesus. The people of Israel found themselves occupied by the Seleucid Empire, which is a fun word to say. So they found themselves occupied by the Seleucid Empire, and they were frustrated because there was other people from the outside that had taken over their neighborhoods, that had taken over their communities, that were writing laws that they didn't get to choose to write, but that they had to follow. And you can imagine how that would feel to feel like you had no agency in your own life to determine what your future looked like because somebody else was making those choices for you. This is how they found themselves, and they were frustrated Well, into that world, a man rose up named Judas Maccabeus, or uh, as his name means, Judah the Hammer, which is like the coolest name ever, right? Like, it'd make a great band name. Uh, So Judah the Hammer rose up into this world, and he decided to fight back. So he came up, and he started taking the battle to the Seleucids. He He rose up an army, and they began to fight, and fight, and fight, and fight, until they had actually overthrown and defeated the Seleucid Empire and took back their land for their own people. 
As you can imagine, this was really popular with the people who had felt frustrated and oppressed for so long, and they celebrated like crazy. As Judah the Hammer had won his final victory and was coming back into Jerusalem, the people threw a big celebration. They tore off palm, palm branches off of the trees, and they came and they laid him at his feet as he came into town for this big triumphal entry. And it became such an important part of their history that they put it on their coins these palm branches to remember the great political victory that was earned for them by Judah the Hammer. So we fast forward 160 years later into the time of Jesus. Well, that didn't last very long because along came another empire, the Roman Empire. The most powerful empire the world had ever known came and conquered the people in the land of Israel once more. And once more they were finding themselves occupied they were being taxed without any representation as to what would be done with that money. They couldn't live according to their values, and there was all this indignity of just not having personal freedom. They were frustrated, and they were fed up with the way the world was working for them at the time. And then along came this other guy that they started hearing rumors of in the midst of their frustration and their pain. They started hearing about this guy named Jesus who started rising up as a teacher, they said, and a prophet, they said. And he was going out in all the surrounding towns and he was doing these miracles of healing people. And he had just uh, but rumored to bring this guy Lazarus back from the dead right before he's about to come into town. He had taken a few loaves of bread and fed a thousand people with it. This is the kind of guy that seems marked by God. This is the kind of guy that maybe can turn our fortunes around they would have felt, right? Finally, they were feeling a tingling in them of hope for the first time in maybe a century with this man named Jesus. And so Jesus got his disciples together as he was about to come into the city, and he sent them ahead to do some preparation work to get some things going. You might have called them an exploratory committee. And they went all ahead, and they got things prepared. They got a vehicle for him. They got the road shut down. They got everything prepared so that Jesus could come into the city. And when they heard that Jesus was exploring what he was going to do and how he was going to enter, they got excited because this sounded a lot like that thing they'd heard about from their grandfathers and learned in their history books. Maybe this was that thing that they could hope for. Maybe this guy would come in and make their country great once again. They were looking to him as a political leader, and Palm Sunday was a political rally. But it was more than that. It was more than just a rally. Palm Sunday was a dream. Palm Sunday was an ideal. Palm Sunday was an expression of hope that, yes, this could be exactly what we so desperately need. How do we get from there to five days later crucify him? How do we get from this guy is the real deal? This guy is exactly what we need to crucify him, throw him out, kill him. We're done with him. How do you go from hope and anticipation to anger and vengeance so quickly? Well, as I processed this story as a kid, I thought it was just unbelief. Right? The, the people of Israel just clearly didn't believe that Jesus was the Savior, come to save them from their sins and to save the world. And that was the problem, that the people of Israel were just these messed up people who didn't believe enough. But as we explore the story, we realize that the problem for them wasn't unbelief. 
The problem was disappointment. Disappointment. Because they couldn't even see clearly enough to ask themselves who Jesus was because they were still stuck in this dream they had for him from Palm Sunday. They were captive to the hope of what they felt they needed. And that hope was that Jesus would be their political hero, that he would come and he would free them, that he would fight against the Romans and that he would win their hard-fraught freedom like Judah the Hammer had done. And instead, just days later, they find him captured and handcuffs before them. And not only is he captured, he's not even fighting back. He's not even doing any of it. What good is this guy? He was supposed to be the one to save us, and he's not even trying to do what we need him to do. The dream begins to fall apart right before them. They're filled with the disgust of broken expectations and disappointment. This is not what I had hoped for. I had hoped for something else, something so different. The disappointment becomes even more clear in the story of Barabbas that follows. Uh, the story of Barabbas is that Jesus is taken by the religious leaders because they're upset with him, and they're upset about the amount of influence he's gaining with the people, and the, the, he's dragged. Uh, the, the religious leaders end up dragging him before the secular leaders, the governors of the state. They drag him before him uh, to get him in trouble for the things that he's doing. And as he's dragged before, uh, the governor, Pilate, is trying to make sense of this. He's trying to make sense of this guy who doesn't seem like he's done much wrong, this guy that everybody seemed to love, uh, and why everybody is now so mad. Surely there is this misunderstanding, Pilate thinks. Surely something just must be off in this situation for people to turn so violently on this calm, polite man. And so we pick up the story here in Matthew 27. So now it was the governor's custom at the festival at this time of year to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? So Pilate says, all right, I'll sort this out. Like, I'll give them the opportunity. There's take, take backsies here. You know, you can, like, you can realize that maybe you got a little overexcited and overblown, and you can have your guy back. And so I'm going to give you the choice to have this prisoner released, and we can just call no harm, no foul, and make sure that everything's okay, and we can move on with life. So he, he used a loophole in the law that allowed them to release a prisoner at this time of year for them. And so he offers up this guy, Barabbas. So you can choose Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas, or you can choose Jesus. Jesus, who we've been talking about this whole time. And if you know the story, you know that they choose Barabbas, much to the confusion of Pilate. They choose Barabbas. Now, in my childhood, I grew up just realizing that Barabbas was a murderer, because we're told that he had killed some people. And I read that story as they chose a murderer? Are you kidding me? <laughs> They could have had Jesus back, who loved them and cared for them and had done all these miracles, and they chose a murderer? How terrible were these people? How terrible were they that they would rather have a murderer out of jail than have Jesus just because they didn't believe? This is what I thought. But there's more to this story. We're told here that, that Barabbas was a well-known prisoner. 
So I don't know if you know this, but like social media wasn't going strong at this point in time. Uh, it wasn't really there yet. Uh, cable news was not functioning uh, at its full capacity that it is now, right? So you just didn't hear about things, right? So for a prisoner to be well known, they would have uh, had to earn that somehow, right? They didn't just go like kill their neighbor in their sleep and get hauled off to jail. For someone to be well known, there was something big that they were doing. Well, Luke clarifies this a little bit in his account. He tells us that Barabbas was an insurrectionist, a political revolutionary. Now it starts to make more sense. Barabbas was a man that was in prison because he killed people fighting for the freedom of his people. Yes, that is the guy we're talking about. That is what we wanted this whole time. This is who Barabbas is. He wasn't just a murderer. He was a murderer fighting for the freedom of his people. It's strange when the choice is given here by Pilate, right? Because it's, it's not just a choice. Like even in the names here, Matthew lists Barabbas as Jesus Barabbas as his name. Well, obviously now you have a choice. Hey, people, do you want Jesus or, or Jesus? Do you want this one or that one? Jesus means Savior. Barabbas, the name Barabbas, Bar means son. Abba means father. So we have Jesus, Savior, son of the father, or Jesus, the Savior, the son of the father. <laughs> Which Jesus do you want? Which Savior, son of the father do you want? Which Jesus are you hoping for? And they yell out, Barabbas, that's the Jesus we want. That's the Jesus we've been hoping for. It's like when your wife says, Ryan, why can't you be more like Ryan Gosling? <laughs> Is that just me? Why did we get stuck with this other Jesus? That's not the one we wanted. You see, the frustration here was not about belief. This is about Palm Sunday back a couple days ago. This is about the dreams that started then that didn't happen the way we hoped they would. And so there's this crash filled with anger, frustration, and desperation. But the Barabbas story tells us there's more than that. It's that the people actually get stuck on that dream. They can't let it go. They still so badly want the revolutionary that they're, they're willing to take even a guy who failed at it. Even a guy in Jesus Barabbas who showed he clearly wasn't even good enough for the thing he was trying to do. They would rather have them because they can't let go of that dream. They can't let go of that narrative. They can't let go of that story. In their disappointment, they're stuck grasping for the dream for the past instead of working with the reality before them to see what might be best moving forward. And it's easy to criticize that, but disappointment is a shared human experience, right? It's something that we all have and we all go through. And if we're honest, uh, it's easy to criticize them for missing the Jesus in front of them, but we all have those Palm Sunday moments that we get hooked on and obsessed with, these dreams that life is going to be better this hope that we're sold, that everything's going to be okay. We have our Palm Sunday moments. Heck, we have a political rally going on right next door today that is one of these moments for us that everything is going to be okay. We finally have somebody who can make things okay for us. 
in ways it hasn't been. We have our own Palm Sunday moment. I've had them in my life. My wedding day. Palm Sunday moment, right? You get all dressed up for the parade. You're full of the expectations that life is now going to be okay. And you'll never have problems again because you have that person who completes you, who's going to make everything all right, and you're going to live happily ever, ever, ever after. Palm Sunday dream, Palm Sunday moment. We have more than that. You have first day on your job, Palm Sunday moment, right? You walk in, fresh start, new people. Maybe this will be the time that I find that fulfillment or that respect that I've been looking for. Maybe this will be the time that my finances will be in order and everything will work out and I'll be able to have that dream retirement that I've been looking for. Maybe this will fix those things and everything will be all right. Or it's the birth of your child. Palm Sunday moment. When you look at that kid and all the hopes that can be there for them. That they'll be everything you want them to be. That they won't deal with the battles that you've dealt with. That they will have a chance in ways that you didn't have a chance. That they will have more than you had. Palm Sunday moment. Maybe it's your baptism. Where you have that moment of clarity. That yes, I am walking with God. I have made that choice and God is with me. And from this point forward, everything's going to be okay. And everything's going to make sense. And everything will be as clear in the future as it is in this moment. Palm Sunday dream. Maybe it's the first day you walk in the doors of a new church. That this church is going to be different. And here I'll find community. And here I'll find support and I'll find a pastor that teaches me the things I really need to know, not like that last guy. We have these dreams, these Palm Sunday moments, that this could be exactly what I need. Until it's not. Until it's not. The dream is gone and someday only reality remains. And you're left wondering where it all went wrong. When you look up one day and Jesus isn't fighting back for you. Or worse yet, he's hanging on the cross dying instead of being the political savior of your people. When the new politician falls into the same trap as the last ones that you've been used to. When your marriage isn't making you feel complete. You wake up one day and you wonder what it is exactly that you got yourself into or who this person that's next to you is when they don't seem like the person from the parade. Or when our job brings more stress than fulfill fulfillment. Or when our children go a different path than we dreamed for them and don't follow the way we had laid out. Or when God isn't answering the prayers in the ways that we had hoped. Or when our new church still has some of the same problems as our last one. We hit reality, and the reactions well up in us with anger, and often desperate attempts to reclaim that dream, to not let go. Well, I just need, this relationship didn't do it, it didn't give me what I needed, but if I just get that next one, that one will do it. If I just get that next job, if I get that next promotion, if I can just continue to move forward, then I can still get to that dream of what I've always hoped for. If I can just get to that next bright new church, if I can just get my kid to at least pretend to follow the plan 
that I had laid out for them for a little bit. If I can at least have Jesus Barabbas, everything will be okay. Except it's not. And there's more to this story, right? We are a people of resurrection. This has been really depressing so far. I will acknowledge that. But we are a people of resurrection. We believe there is goodness on the other side of death. We believe there is restoration and healing on the other side of our broken dreams. But it's not always that easy to see that and to get there, right? Let's pick up the story after Jesus' resurrection. So after the greatest single act of hope the world has ever seen that death is defeated and there is goodness on the other side of brokenness, the resurrection. We see Jesus, after the resurrection, is walking down a road alongside two of his followers. And they're walking down this path on a road to a place called Emmaus. And as they're walking down the path, there's a conversation that takes place. Jesus asked them, hey, what are you guys discussing together as you walk? It's a great icebreaker. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on these days? What things, Jesus asked. Nice, Jesus. <laughs> About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I read this story, I'm like, what is wrong with these people, right? Like, this is, this is the dude that they've been so upset about. This is the guy that they've been hungering for. This is the guy they've been longing for. This is the reality that they've been hoping for, and they can't even see it. They can't even see it. What is going on? But we see it right there in that last sentence. This is who we wanted him to be, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped we had hoped that he was going to do this thing, but instead he's dead and crucified. See, the thing that's keeping them from seeing is their own disappointment. And we need to realize that even with goodness ahead, we often can't see it if we haven't first dealt with our own disappointment. Because even when there's goodness ahead, it's hard to see what did happen instead of what didn't happen until we first walk through our disappointment. Which brings us to the table. Let's rewind from Resurrection Sunday to Holy Thursday, the Last Supper. So it's Jesus on the night he was betrayed, and he was eating with his disciples. And as he was eating with them, he picked up the bread, and he broke it. He said, this is my body, and it's given to you. And as often as you do this, as often as you eat together, and you do this, remember me. Now, this would have been really confusing. They're still in the middle of the political campaign. Like, they're probably like, Jesus, the numbers aren't that bad. The polls are still looking up for us. You know, like, we still got a chance in this thing, man. What are you talking about, like, brokenness and defeat? Are you, gonna, are you conceding? Is this, is this what's going on? This is your concession speech? He says, in my brokenness. Remember this. I need you to remember this. And he goes on. After they were finished with the meal, he picked up the cup. He said, this cup is a new promise that's sealed in my blood that will be shed. Whenever you drink it, remember me. Again, the processing of what is going on had to have been so difficult for the disciples. 
what's going on here is that Jesus is confronting them with reality. He's saying, I know you have these dreams of what you want me to become. I know you have this vision of what you need things to be. But I need you to know this, that down the road, when you're thinking about me, when you're right in the middle of the brokenness here, remember that I was never the one who stayed whole and became the political figure you needed me to be. I am something different, and you need to see and accept and acknowledge the reality of that. Because only when you can acknowledge the reality of brokenness can you let this fake, false dream die and start to see reality for the first time. And then maybe you can deal with that reality and find goodness on the other side of it. I've had this talk in my life before. My wife and I are adoptive parents. And we were going through the adoptive class. Uh, there was a day that they gave us this assignment in class uh, that we had to draw a picture of a yet-to-be-met child that would become our daughter someday. And we had to draw a picture and color it in and you know, draw what she would be doing and then write all these descriptions of her, right, of all the great qualities that she would be and how her relationship would be and all that. And so we did this, and it was this great, uh, this great time just dreaming of life with another daughter and how amazing that would be. And we completed the assignment, and the instructor asked us to wad that up and throw it away in the trash. That was fun. <laughs> Here's what she told us. She said, that child you just wrote on that paper doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And until you come to terms with the fact that that child doesn't exist, you will never be able to love and enjoy the child that does exist that will someday be a part of your life. Until we let the dreams go and start to allow God to work in us in the midst of the reality that is and not the reality that we want it to be, until we let go, can we move forward? And Jesus is telling us in this moment, in this practice, in the moments of brokenness, you finally find reality, and I will be there for you in that. So when you start to see clearly that your marriage is what it is and not what you hoped it would be, Jesus is there with you in the middle of that. And when your kids aren't living up to the expectations you had for them, Jesus is there with you and with them in the middle of that. And when you can't find the job that brings you fulfillment and you find yourself filled with more doubt and more questions than the beautiful picture you started with, Jesus is there in the middle with you in that because that is real. And God is there. Which leads us to the end of our story. Back to the friends on the road to Emmaus. Jesus walking with these disciples. They get to the end of the road and they're like, hey, we're coming in for dinner. Uh, why don't you join us? Which, by the way, is great. Like, we don't, like, just invite random strangers into our house for dinner anymore, right? So there's something beautiful in that. So they invite him in, and they're sitting around the table ready to eat dinner. And this is what happens while they're eating. When Jesus was at the table with them, he took the bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and he began to give it to them. And when he did, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. When did they finally see that it was Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the one who would defeat death once and for all? It wasn't until they acknowledged and found him in the brokenness were they able to move forward. 
The embrace of brokenness allows our eyes to be open to the goodness ahead. And so we come to this practice at the table. We're coming here now together. In just a second, I'll uh, dismiss you to head to the table together, and we'll come back together at the end of that to close. But I do, we're coming to this table and this practice that is centered around brokenness and focused on reality. And I ask you to come with this question. What dreams and disappointment are you bringing to the table with the broken body of Christ? What dreams and disappointment are you bringing forward so that you may find reality, so that you may meet Jesus in the middle of your brokenness, and so that you might find the goodness of resurrection on the other side of that situation? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are with us. I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you experience life as we have experienced life and you are with us in the middle of it. Not in the false dream that everything is going to be okay all the time, but in the middle of life as it is, you are there. God, open our eyes. Allow us to find you in the midst of reality as we let go of the dream. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want to leave you with this blessing that was given to Henry Nowen by his mentor. May all your expectations be frustrated. May all your plans be thwarted. May all your desires be withered into nothingness. That you may experience the powerlessness and the poverty of a child and sing and dance in the love of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Grace and peace be with you. Have a great day.